Welcome to the Member Engagement Show with Higher Logic, the podcast for association professionals looking to boost retention, gain new members, and deepen member involvement. Throughout our show, we'll bring on some experts, talk shop about engagement, and you'll walk away with strategies proven to transform your organization. I'm Heather McNair. I'm Alex Mastriani, and we're happy you're here. Hi, everyone. If you tuned into the show a couple weeks ago, you may have heard the first session in our What's Next for Associations webinar series on marketing in a post-pandemic world. We're back with another episode in the series, and this time it's all about your association's value proposition, how to find out what members want and need, how to meet those needs effectively, and a strategy for revising your member value proposition. Today, we're joined by three folks. Dave Will, CEO at PropFuel, and Tom Morrison, CEO at the Metal Treating Institute, along with Beth Errett, Association Strategist here at HireLogic, and they're here to share their must-know takeaways about your value proposition. If you'd like to take a look at the slides that they use during the webinar, you can find them in the show notes. And stay tuned because they'll be joining us for an episode in the next couple of weeks to share even more about value propositions and measuring member engagement. Let's take a listen. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, welcome. I'm Beth Errett. I'm an association strategist at HireLogic, but in my past life, I actually spent a lot of time in associations, um, including the last almost seven years at AAAE, where I was the VP of marketing before I came over to HireLogic. So let's get started. Um, I'm thrilled to be back for session two, as I mentioned. Today, our topic is a really popular one in associations right now. It's redefining your value proposition. So I'm going to turn it over to our speakers um, and ask them a question. Why are you speaking here today? So Tom, let's start with you. Well, I'm speaking today because I am literally obsessed since I got into association management with, um, with value proposition and engagement. In my opinion, engagement solves everything. It solves meeting attendance. It solves finances. It solves so much about solves volunteerism. And so we've been obsessed with that. And we've had some phenomenal success over the last 15 years with 83% of our members being engaged on average in one or more of our programs and a 97% retention rate every single year, which leads to our 2,600% growth in 15 years. So I, I really believe what we do works and it really puts focus on value that leads to engagement. So I always challenge people to listen in and hear what we're doing because results is what we've got with how we've approached it. So um, Dave, what about you? Hey Beth, did you moderate the first session too? I did. You did. Okay. I'm a little competitive, so I'm kind of hoping at the end of this session, <laughs> you might evaluate us versus your original session. I'm just curious how you might score this one versus oh, the original in terms of value. That's a difficult right? question. We'll see. All right. So my name is Dave Will. I um my 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 purpose in life these days is to help organizations um, communicate in a more human way uh, because I think we've been given these resources and these tools to broadcast really well like just broadcast in volume but that's just not how humans communicate and so so that that's what uh, I, I'm here doing these days I'm an entrepreneur my first business was uh, a peach new media um, uh, it was a learning management system I started that in 2001 and we sold it in 2015 and then we started this, my uh, my partner Cameron uh, and I started this uh, back in uh, 20, late 2016. And this is called Prop Fuel. Prop Fuel is my, um, my we put, somebody said this to me the other day, we put prop in value proposition. 
I thought that was pretty clever, right? A <laughs> <laughs> little bit cheap. Oh, it was you, Beth. Wasn't it you that said that to me the other day? I think I'm going to put the blame on you. So a little cheesy, <laughs> but I'm going to go with it nonetheless. But yeah, PropFuel is the company we have right now. It's a communications platform, and it's designed to create more human two-way interactions between organizations and their members. So that's what I'm doing here today, trying to bring the human into digital. Excellent. Okay. Um, so before we you know, dive in, we've got a quick poll question um, that's about to pop up. So how would you rate your value proposition? And your options are going to be um, somewhat compelling, not very compelling, and not at all compelling. Hey, Beth, you know what's interesting about this? I, um, while, we're, while we're waiting for people to answer, I, um, I've worked with hundreds of associations but more recently about close to a hundred associations that are are always evaluating their value proposition and and trying to figure out and learn and listen to what their members have to say it's stunning to me how often an association actually knows if their value proposition sucks and they're like yeah we we offer discounts and a little bit of education which they don't really care about. You know, that, that's someone that's saying their value proposition isn't so good, but then I think today we're gonna to talk about some really, really cool value propositions and uh, with organizations that have an amazing retention rate. Yeah, agreed. And I just think, I think that now, given everything's going on, is such a great time to actually talk about that. Um, so, I, you know, I think that this conversation is happening at just the right time and that there are a lot of people who are really gonna be able to benefit from it. Uh, so, ooh, we have poll results. Um, 63% said that their value proposition was somewhat compelling. 28% said not very compelling. And 9% said that it was not at all compelling. So that's good. Not that's bad. That's good. Yeah, two thirds feel like they have a compelling prop value proposition, yeah. a third yeah. don't. I yeah. wish it was flipped the other way that would make me feel like there's more value in the presentation we're giving i think that the, the it, it's i love how it's always the a student that wants an a plus you ever <laughs> notice that like you get the c students they're they're not really that interested in yeah anyway beth it's all you, you know what though it's a moving target <laughs> these days you never know what it looks like in 12 months you always have to be on your game when you're trying to meet members needs yeah. true well i think that, that just even thinking that you have you know like feeling that it's somewhat compelling means that you know you're you're near the mark and you just need to redefine it some in order to make sure that you're hitting the mark so i think that's a good spot still for the presentation right. i agree i agree um so to that end how do you start an ongoing conversation with members so that you can kind of understand what they want and what they need sooner well you know if you go to my slides there you go there you go thanks beth so here's here's what i think the very first thing that associations need to do is to try and figure out what they don't know they don't know. So many associations, I've done strategic planning for 25 years, and so many associations are trying to make a strategic plan based upon what they think they know in their little world, but they're not looking at the micro level, but not looking at the macro level. So the next couple of slides, I want to unpack some things that are going on that's going to really have an external impact on associations. It's going to impact the internal more to the external forces. So if you look at these four numbers here, these four numbers are going to drive everything in associations and corporate world in the next 10 years. 100 million is going to speak to growth. There's 100 million people between 11 and, thir and 36 right now. And, and so in another eight years, they're all going to be, that's a lot, that's a large part of the millennials and Gen Z. They're, they're, 
we got the largest wave. I did a, a webcast with Dave that we talked about the largest wave of membership opportunity in our history coming our way because we have this 100 million people coming into their prime earning years where they're going to have enough money in their 30s to actually buy membership. So with all that growth, there's going to come challenges and it's going to be labor challenges because we all see that our members are struggling to find labor. There's 3 million more unemployed people than there are jobs or jobs and there are unemployed people right now. So there's not enough people to go around. 40% speaks to disruption. Get this, by 2029, Ford says that the Fortune 500 companies, the Fortune 500, 40% of them will not be here in 2029. Your memberships could be connected with those 200 companies and you don't know which ones they are. So it's important that you're staying abreast of what is going on in the world of disruption in your industry. And 82% speaks to the in industry 4.0 and the internet of things. People that implement that over putting in new labor sees an 82% positive change in their efficiency. So these four numbers are going to really drive um, a lot of stuff going on in the future. Okay, but I have a question about one of those numbers. Go ahead. Three million in labor are going to have the money to buy memberships, but will they? Because a lot of the stats coming out say that that generation is not necessarily as interested in a membership. Oh, stop it. Yeah, you know, I, 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 that, that's, here's the thing. When I was, when I, me, I'm a baby, I'm, I'm the last of the baby boomers. Baby boomers didn't join anything in their 20s. They joined it in their 30s when they got their first big raise and figured they didn't know everything and they could use a connection. Millennials that are getting into their 30s are doing the same thing. They're joining when they see a value that, that increases their value marketability as an individual yes. or corporate. So if you find that, you just got to find out what they want, what's true to their exactly. heart. Yep. So, yeah, can I, can I, I just want to insert a comment right there. The, the whole dialogue around um, the, the non-joiners, I, I personally don't buy into it. And, and here, here's the either. difference in, in the, that's the one, one of the few things we really agree on, Tom. But there's, there's, you have um, the young, fairly younger generation, right? And it's not even the younger generation. It's any tech-savvy person that is inundated with content everywhere, right? So you think about Instagram or Snapchat or, or, or TikTok and, and, and you're kind of flipping through these things really fast and you stop on one that's intriguing for some reason. It's got some value proposition. Whatever it is, it's got something that's intriguing. So what has happened is we have these awesome filters for content that you didn't need in the 80s and the 70s or even in the 90s, right? You didn't need a filter as much as we filter things today. It's not that they're not joining. It's just that people are really looking for the things that offer a strong value proposition, hence today's pod, uh, uh, webcast webinar. And before we go on the next slide, the thing that you bring up, Dave, which is a very crucial point, the, the, re, the reimagining of value propositions is that associations used to own information until the internet came along. But now because there's a plethora of, of bad misinformation, what associations now own really good is the interpretation of the information. And that's where they got to jump in and get into the urban interpretation. That's where they are the authority at, of it. So but moving yeah, on to the a, next thing. There was a study earlier, I'm going to this one thing, but there was a study recent, fairly recently that said that associations were now kind of the most trusted news source because they actually curate the information with their, they have a similar point of view, a similar mission as you, and they curate the information so that you get what you know you're gonna be interested in, which I thought was fascinating. Oops, sorry, I went too far. So, so moving, moving into now, what are the three driving forces? And there's four here because we got this new one called the unexpected, but three driving forces that associations really need to pay attention to are emerging technologies, demographic shifts, and consumer buying habits. Those three together are swaying 
how industries are functioning from a, a, a positive or a negative. So if we go to the next slide, I'm gonna break down. So these, these, these technologies you're gonna see are actually the, these are the 10 technologies that are gonna really transform everything. I wanna give you a little sense of how. So you look at the self-driving cars. We all talk about the self-driving cars. Self-driving cars, there's a study done that says it's gonna do away with 90% of all accidents. Think about that, 90% of all accidents. Guess what industries immediately have to start thinking differently? The paint Insurance. and body shop industry. Mm -hmm. Well, think about it, paint and body shops, personal yep. injury attorneys, DUI schools, here's a biggie. How about organ transplants? 20% of all organ transplant comes from the accidents that happen on the street. They've got something to think through. Um, and the sign industry, self-driven cars don't have uh, windows, they have digital monitors on their sides. The sign industry marketing executives aren't crazy people. They're gonna not be on those signs, which is gonna drive the sign industry, the billboard industry crazy. So just one, piece, one of these 10 technologies, one simple change had a damaging effect to 10. And my question to every association is when you're looking at your value proposition, what are you doing to provide information on these changes and these technologies so your members can really think about how they're gonna do di business differently when sensors, drones, machine learning, virtual reality are all in their business full force. So emerging tech and blockchain, blockchain's a huge, they call that the internet 2.0. That's gonna change everything from mortgages to title insurance to everything. So you gotta pick that, that's where the real value propositions are coming in. Is helping your members have the right information that can make great choices about their their life because change is happening but, but, so fast. Tom, it's not just about the information, and, and there, we've talked about this. We're going to see some examples in a little bit of organizations, of associations that are actually creating technology themselves Correct. for their members, not just information. I know you know that, but I want to be very clear, like getting involved in these technologies as an organization can be incredibly valuable to the members. Let's, so give then, a, let's connect, let's, yeah, if I can connect that yeah. dot real quick. Yeah. So what Dave is saying is that the National Taxi Cab Association had a chance in 1988 to, uh, they could have came out with the Uber technology and they would have owned the taxi industry if, if they had been the ones that came out with that technology and that, and they, they didn't and, another, and Uber came out with it and really put them behind the eight ball. So associations should be looking in their industries, ask themselves, what is our Uber? What could we own and license that could enhance our value proposition for the membership? I'm sorry, Beth, jump in. No, as, um, so my question is kind of with that, talking about you know providing the information versus getting involved, things like that. How exactly do you define a value proposition in the first place? Like, so as, as, what would you say a value proposition is? What should be looking to have in it? Well, to me, a value proposition is very simple. It is understanding your members' highest pain points every day. Real estate agents, doctors, business owners, manufacturing CEOs go to work every day with issues right here that they're trying to figure out that are pain points for them, that they need innovative solutions. And really forward-thinking associations are finding solutions. They're one, identifying those high pain points, and then they're creating solutions to help members deal with those and be successful with those. To me, that's what value propositions really are it's solving problems for the largest pain points because guess what if you can solve the biggest problems for your members they're, they're never going to want to leave that's where they want that's where they want you to be at but then you have to redefine your value proposition once you've solved that to move on to the next problem what well, like we said in the beginning it's a value proposition is very dynamic it never stops moving yep. wait dave you didn't interrupt or argue or disagree i agree that's two things that we agree I on, Dave. I got, no, I got nothing really insightful to add to that one. I'm, I'm, I'm going to save it. Drink to that. 
I wonder if everybody's like, oh my God, what do these people drink? Well, Tom's drinking five hour. I got my Diet Mountain Dew and Beth just downed a, a iced coffee. Of iced coffee about as big as my face. Yeah. So, so let's go. <laughs> so yeah. So we move past the emerging technologies to the next slide, Beth. Yes. We kind of move into the next phase is demographic shifts. Everybody's been talking about these ginormous baby boomers, Gen X and millennials. And we're we're in, we're demographically set right now to have the largest economic growth in our history. Why? Because we have the two largest um, generations. Baby boomers are coming into their retirement years and spending tons of money in retirement and healthcare. And millennials are coming in every year, three and a half to four million people turn three huge ages, 18, 24, and 32. 18 is they become a semi-adult and they start getting out and getting a job and spending some money going to college, buying a car. 23, 22, they're renting their first place, and 32, they're, they're buying their first home. For the next 10 years, 4 million people are going to be hitting those three ages, which is going to drive the economy like crazy. And guess what? Industries are going to grow what? Agriculture, healthcare. Healthcare is going to double in the next seven years. Um, you got aerospace, construction, housing on the, on the housing side is going to, we're 25 million homes short of fulfilling all the homes needed in the next 15 to 20 years. And then electronics, every one of those millennials and Gen Z is going to have a cell phone, a tablet, some kind of thing. So those, so you got to know this demographic data in order to ask your members the question, how does this impact our industry so we can, we can capitalize on it? Sure. So demographic shifts are going to be a huge. And, and everybody wonders where the labor problem was, Beth. It's that big trough you see right there. A, a demographic friend of mine said, people wish they could go back 15 years ago and have more babies and fulfilled that we'd have enough employees today. But you can't recreate babies like that since so we have to live through that. But in the next nine years, all the millennials and Gen Zs will be in the economy and we'll have 100 million strong. And if they at least go to work, we're gonna have enough employees to fulfill the employment. Right now, the big high value proposition for associations is how to help their members muscle through the next nine years where there ain't a lot of employees. That's, 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 that's a big... You know, I appreciate you actually remembering that my generation exists. Most people don't. They just go straight from baby boomers to millennials. We don't exist. So thanks for remembering Gen X exists. Well, you know, when I'm in a meeting and I ask everybody in the room, how many, when I'm talking about the millennials, how many Gen Xers just had their spine turn and like a lot of them raise their hands. So <laughs> I want to say Gen X at least once in this meeting and they love it and you can't forget them because Gen X is the, that's where the value proposition has got to be forwarded to because they're the leaders today. Right now, Gen X is leading the companies, leading the boards, they're leading the way to the future and we got to bring them in. Yep, and we, we are so used to getting forgotten that we love it when anybody remembers us. So, Dave, what were you gonna say? <laughs> I, no, I just said reality bites, you know, it's, it's a know. classic Gen X movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh Ethan, Ethan Hawke, is that right, Ethan Hawke? Yeah, Winona yes. Ryder. Yeah, yep. right. yep. that's not why so, we're here, so, is it? So before we get into to kind of unpacking how we have the conversations around this, because remember, everyone listening in, the reason this is so important is to have a macro view at 30,000 foot to understand what is what you don't know you don't know could be influencing your, your value propositions. And here's what we all like to talk about now is what are the new, new norms coming out of COVID where there's some opportunities for value? And, and here's some of the, the ones I've really studied up on. Everything's got to be digital. You got touchless, um, health, health hygiene conscious. What are you doing to educate your people on health hygiene? Um, HR is gonna be as powerful as the CFO in most companies because all the rules that are coming around human resources now with COVID um, and other things. Remote work, what are you doing to educate your people on remote work, virtual meetings, 
digital selling, a lot of a lot of customers don't want their salespeople coming in their plants nowadays because of the whole social distancing. So what are you doing to help your members create digital selling tools so they can show off their capacities and expertise through the internet? And the largest one is cybersecurity. With all this connectivity, cybersecurity is huge in every single industry. So these are er these are other areas where people can find value and help their members solve pain points because almost every one of these 10 is a pain point for some member at some level. But you know what? The last 10 years, we've been talking about content marketing, associations telling members what they need to know and, and who they are and what they need, to conversational engagement, which is going back and forth in the conversation to understand what your members need. Because remember, you're not your members aren't who you tell them they are. You're, you're to them who they tell their other members they are. So I'm going to turn it over here now to my colleague, Mr. Dave, to jump in and start telling a little bit, because he's got a little bit to say on this thing called conversational engagement. Hey, Beth, can you go back one for a second? Sure. I think this is really interesting. Look at some of the words here, digital, uh, um, remote, virtual, digital, cyber. It's like, uh, my God, everything's getting just highly processed, right? It's like we're, it's, everything's turning into baloney all of a sudden. And, and, and it's... When you go digital, I, I think it's fair to say, generally speaking, I mean, I would debate this with myself if I was on the listening side of this, but generally speaking, you're digital and you lose that connection, right? You, I mean, the, the, you have tea with somebody and you're sitting across the table, Beth, bite your lip, give me a minute. You're sitting across <laughs> the table, right? You're having tea with somebody or, or you're drinking a beer with somebody at the bar and you're connecting with people, right? There's this one-to-one -one dialogue. For me, I'm a dog lover, right? You can see right over my shoulder here, that's one of my first dogs named Zoe and we had that portrait made, but I'm a dog lover. Whenever I see somebody walking down the street with their dog, I'm going to go up to that person and I'm going to start a conversation with the purpose of getting some love in from that dog, right? That's my objective. So every conversation, generally speaking, has an objective. Just like when you start a conversation with your members, sometimes usually there's an objective, something you want to, where a place where you want to take that conversation. So for me, when I see somebody walking their dog, I want to pet the dog. So I walk up to the person and say, hey, what a beautiful dog, right? I start a conversation. What a beautiful dog, it's a little prompt, warm up sort of thing. And then I ask a question, is your dog friendly? And based on how they answer that question, that will determine the outcome of my action, right? If they say, oh yeah, my dog loves people, I'm moving in for some loving. If they say, on the other hand, no, my dog's a little, you know, with rescue and a little timid and doesn't really like people all the time, I'm going to back up and give the dog a little room because I, I do love dogs and I want to respect the dog, right? So that's a conversation. You introduce yourself. There's some dialogue. There's a question. You listen to the answer and you take action based on the answer. Yet, the way we communicate digitally most of the time with people is in the form of a broadcast. We're talking at people. You can take me to the next slide, Beth. But we're broadcasting stuff at people. And the reason we do that is because it's the easiest way we know how to do it. It's the tools we've been given, right? We used to do everything in person at conferences and stuff. And then we used to do direct mail, right? No, no conversation going on direct mail, but you're sending stuff. And then we said, okay, well, how can we send stuff digitally now? And then we get email and we can send stuff through email. And then we get better email. And then we get really intelligent email, which is marketing automation. 
but still it's just really sophisticated broadcasting is all it is so what yeah go ahead beth but is it if you do it right it's not if you do it where you're doing your campaigns and your automation so that it reacts to what people do for example if you're using a web tracking campaign so you're reacting to an action they take to show them more about something they want to know and get feedback if you're using it so that when they click on specific things um you know that okay they're going to want information on this and you take them off into another thing giving them something they know isn't that kind of a digital two-way conversation it's a one and a half way conversation what you're doing there is <laughs> is is it's it's a it. it's an interactive that's the way i would describe it it's an interactive mm -hmm. digital display right you click on things something happens something pops out of a hat or something brings you to a page right that's interactive that's what i would call that true conversations don't have necessarily an ending a stop point Right, so a true conversation starts with a question, you listen for a run response, there's an action, and it might continue back and forth for quite some time. So from a digital perspective, what we've done with, and, and this is where I have these goggles on through, through taking this philosophy and applying it to technology, but what PropFuel, the purpose of PropFuel is to be able to take this concept of this human engagement, this ask, capture, and act methodology, and scale it so that you don't have to pick up the phone or you don't have to go in person to conferences because you just can't do that with 5,000 members or 95,000 members. You just can't do that with your members on a regular basis. And so this, th there is a level of automation in here that ultimately leads to human interaction. So um, there's one or two more things I wanna say, but if you wanna know more, and I, that's, that's as deep as I'm gonna go with, with, uh, with conversational engagement, we are, uh, and I think we can put this in a link. This is a little ebook we created called Conversational Engagement. You can find that at, at uh, propfuel.com right at the top. So check out, you can download that ebook, Conversational Engagement at propfuel.com. Now, this is an example of, of what we are traditionally doing. This is like you, you, you sign up for something. In this case, this happened to be the process somebody used to acquire new members, right? And conversational engagement, by the way use it in new member onboarding. Oh my God, what a great place. How many times do we use behavioral and transactional data to assume we know what it is somebody wants when they join? Why don't we just ask them? Yeah. Why That's did what we're you talking join? About the other day, that context, the combination of the two, because the context, they may, or may, they may or may not tell you exactly what they're looking for yeah. or may or not know what they're looking for. Um, but if you have what they say they're looking for in the context with what their actions they're actually taking, yeah, yeah. so you, you use behavioral and transactional data to put them into a bucket, and then you take that bucket and you start a conversation, a unique conversation with people in these buckets. Yes, Tom? But here's the key. When you have tens of thousands of members, and people on here are probably listening to that, when that can all happen with no human involvement, you've leveraged technology to maximize engagement. The servicing end of it, which members need, experience, they need fast data answers. And, and what you're talking about, automates that process without human human interaction and that's powerful yes and i would argue the goal is to provide human interaction when and where it's needed right so the goal is to take your 10,000 or 90 10,000 people that you're interacting with every day and and figure out of those who are the 26 people 
I really need to connect with personally today? Who are the 26 people that need some human touch, right? And so if you can take a process like this and apply it to, to your member communications, now you're really, really effective at taking behavioral data, transactional data, marrying it to contextual data or this conversational engagement, it's two-way exchange, so that you know who to talk to and when to talk to them. So right. in this scenario, what we're looking at here is somebody who who uh, had, a, it was member acquisition. They had a whole bunch of people that had signed up for something on their site, right? And and But they weren't members. They just signed up, gave an email address. And so what this organization did said, oh, we got somebody to sign up. Send them like a benefit and ask them to join and send them another benefit later and ask them to join and send them another benefit and ask them to join. Now take me to the next slide because this is the way when when this was applied, it doubled their success rate. It doubled it. And so when somebody signed up, they said, why did you sign up? Like it, it's almost so obvious if somebody were to walk in the room and it just joined your association or signed up for something, what you would do is you'd walk up to them, introduce yourself, say, hey, what brought you here today? How can I help you? What'd you sign up for? Right? You'd ask them a question, you'd start a conversation, then based on their answer, you would take action. And that's what this does. It's an automated way of doing that so that we can take people down a certain path. In fact, I, I use this as an example all, all the time. I don't know which one this is, Mission to Malawa. So this is a uh, choose your own adventure book. And it's very, very similar approach, but Tom, back to your point, with the intent of identifying people that you actually connect with on a human level. So, so I'm going yeah, to bring this back to the, the subjects because I'm sure that some people are probably sitting there going, what does this have to do with value it? proposition? How does this relate to the proposition value? Proposition? Thank you. Yes. Great. Thank you for doing that. Because I think I was I was getting distracted by my enthusiasm. So the, the way this this is where this takes us to the value proposition is oftentimes we're assuming we know what the value is to the membership. Right. So you send out a survey and you want to know. What does our membership want? As if the membership is a person. And you got 42% of your membership that joined for this reason and 26% that joined for this reason and so on. So now you have buckets of people. And so you can shape the value proposition. With conversational engagement, you can get down to the market of one. You can talk to an individual and connect with that individual and give them the journey that they want at the individual level. You're no longer segmenting or looking at buckets of people at the granular level. You're talking to individuals and that's where true value comes from. When you can actually connect with an individual and give them what they need, what they want, that's value. And you know, and you know what's powerful about that, Dave? What? Is that that one person may be thinking a little differently than others. And once you figure that out, it may extrapolate into many other people saying, yeah, I have that problem too. Yes. I want, I want yes. some of that action. You, you, so that's Tom, that's an... And I think that's where communities actually help out a lot because then you're having that discussion. You're, all of them are having the discussion with their peers about it. Good, good at facilitating that. It's a treasure trove of information there. So not only are you like, good networking and a benefit for your members, but it's an amazing thing for you to find out exactly what they're looking for. I love the community because it's a peer-driven discussion, whereas what conversational engagement is, by definition, is an organization-driven conversation, right? Peer-driven versus organizational-driven. 
both incredibly valuable. So a lot of people are asking about, so how, Beth, I think of people are asking, so how do you go about the process of determining what value is? And we've been driving this right here. I call it bringing your value alive. And, and I even do it for membership engagement. But alive stands for a very simple set of things that I've got written here that we started doing this in 2006. We identified specific challenges we were faced with as an association before we started our big growth pattern. And what we did was we said, you know what? We got to ask the right questions. When you're looking at value, it's imperative that you ask the right questions to the members to get the right answers of their high pain points. And then it's imperative that you listen intently to listen for those common themes to where you can say, okay, that sounds like a good program to map over 22% of our industry. Then it's imperative that once you get that feedback, you then innovate with solutions. You got to solve the problem. And then you have value creation because if you have good solutions to the right questions that, that they have problems, you're going to create great value creation. And guess what? From there, you need to engage with excellence. You need to have engagement that has great customer service, prompt responses, and make sure it has value. So that's what Alive is. That's a simple strategy that I, I really encourage every association when you're looking at any programs, ask yourself, did we ask the right questions to know what we didn't know? Did we listen intently? Did we innovate the right solutions? And did it create value? And are we able to engage it with excellence? If you do that, those five things right there on anything you're working on in your association, I guarantee you're going to come away with good with a good program, good set of values. Yep. So then the next question becomes, you know, how do associations meet all of those needs? Yeah, if I could, I'd love to start this conversation, Tom. And then I know you have these three questions, but I'd really like to point out something that we discussed earlier. And and I think we have a few examples of these. I, I know of a few, I think you know of a few, there's one, uh, 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 associations that are basically creating platforms, you know, software or tools for their members. So it goes beyond education, it goes beyond certification, it goes beyond discounts. It goes beyond the conferences and the networking and the socializing and the 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 uh, advocacy. It goes to creating a tool that becomes critical to my job or my existence professionally. Triple A did that. Um, we created a, a tracking tool for airports to be able to track Uber and Lyft and the different rental or um, uh, rideshare cars as they come on and, and off the property. And it was a member benefit, right? Had um, to be a member. Wasn't, you, you did not have to be a member. However, um, you did get, I believe, discounts. I'm not really sure how that works. Um, but all the airports who did it, AAA doesn't have airport members. They have individual members, so it works a little bit yeah. differently. Um, but yeah, it was it was a product that they needed because they were just relying on self-reporting from the rideshare companies. And so, so I'm going to give you a couple examples now. I, there, there's one example. I'm going to give you a couple more uh, just to, to to get your mind spinning a little bit. It's and I can't go into much detail about these because I really don't know much detail. But but uh, one of them is the National Council of Architectural Registration Boards, NCARB, and they built this thing called Lineup. Uh, G Ortiz uh, G Guillermo uh, uh, was leading that charge, but he, they built this team um, project management software called Lineup. Um, you have the Construction Standards Institute (CSI) with Mark Dorsey at the at the helm. They built a specifications platform uh, for for their members. Again, that's construction standards. It's actually a standards platform. Again, I can't go into a lot of detail. Tom, I know you're doing something with benchmarking. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, 
creating certainty in the future is absolutely when you're investing $2 million in a piece of equipment, you want to be certain about what's going on with the future. And we have created a program that helps us with ITR economics create forecasts for the next one, two, and three years for our industry with real data so they can get a sense of, you know, in this dynamic economy, when is it going up? When is it going down? And it's being very successful for our members to help minimize and almost eliminate all the uncertainty they have in those decisions. What about, um, Tom, what, what's your pallet uh, friend, uh, the pallet organization? Oh, yeah, the National Wood, National Wood and Container Association um, surveyed their members and got their board on board to spend six figures on a platform that when you buy a refrigerator or a, or a washing machine, it's usually on one cookie cut pallet. And because it doesn't fit on there seamlessly, it would fall off and get scratched and didn't end up in clearance instead of selling for retail. Well, they created a software program that would engineer and CAD draw the perfect pallet for the perfect exact appliance or whatever you're shipping. And that took off like gangbusters for them. So they created their own Uber and added great value. And I think they like doubled in revenue and membership and everything. It was incredible to watch happen. You, you just touched on something right there. You said you got their boards buy-in. So talk, talk <laughs> about that for a second. How do you get the board to buy in on this entrepreneurial, innovative spirit that I think we're suggesting? In fact, again, that's, that's the premise of our podcast, associationstrong.com. That's the premise of the podcast you and I do, Tom. And in fact, that's where Higher Logic found out about us is through that podcast but that's what we talk about all the time you're the association guy i'm the entrepreneur and we're bringing those two perspectives together so how do you bring the board into this entrepreneurial attitude so there's a couple different things you got to do one you got to scare the crap out of them and, and you got to uh, you got to disturb them enough there's only two reasons wrong. people don't make there's only two reasons people don't make change hear me out on this only two reasons people don't make change they're not aware a problem exists or they're aware the problem exists and they're not sufficiently disturbed enough about it to do something about it. So it's imperative that you give them the right information, like the first six slides I gave you today, to, to disturb them enough to say, you know what, we don't have a we don't have a uh, um, a choice but to change. So there's some very fine strategic planning people in the association sphere, sphere that you can bring in to help them get to that point. And then once you get to that point and they say, you know what? We're ready to hear how we can change. Then it's imperative that you look at things like Dave's act that he talked about earlier. And then this alive here to get to go out and at, once your board's on board, then you can go out and have the freedom to ask your members what you need to ask to find the pain points of how you can transform how they get to do business. And that's really, I mean, if you just, I swear, if you just follow this alive technique after you get your board's input, you can, you can find, you can dig in and find a lot of good stuff in there. There's a lot of value in this in the next 10 years to be had by associations. Um, so just to talk a couple minutes, because we've got quite Q&A coming up in just a couple minutes, um, about just um, effectively measuring engagement to assess that value proposition effectiveness. How do you know if it's effective? So real quick, Beth, before I get to that. Oh, yeah. So data metrics is really key in, in effectiveness, but here's what to follow up on what Dave said. There's one more thing, one crucial element to getting a board's buy-in is showing them a period of metrics. It, Mine, mine was showing the net worth, the net reserves of the association. And when you show it going like this, no one wants to be the board that ran the association in the ground. That gets their attention really fast. Retention rates, you know, recruitment rates. You showed, you showed over a 10-year span, so they get a perspective on, where on the trend of where they're headed. That will change their mind in a second because now they got to stand before the membership and explain why are we, do, why are we going this direction. So that's another way you can – because you can't argue with data. 
So, um, no, you, sure you, can. Test, you can argue with it. Doesn't mean you're going to be right. <laughs> well, it, well, exactly. But I mean, when the data when the data line is going like this, unless you've miscalculated the data, you can't argue that we're going the wrong direction. Yep. So, but but our sense of metrics, in my opinion, we track every single uh, percentage rate of members' attendance and or uh, participation, every engaged thirteen engagement points, and then mm -hmm. we lump them into three three bot three buckets. If they're only if they're not paying us anything but dues, but they get um, our benchmarking report. Then they're in their information members. If they actually pay money and buy something from us, like our training, they're transactional members. And if they volunteer or go to meetings, they're emotional members. We have an emotional connection with them. And our goal is to get information members to be transactional members to create more non-dues revenue and get transactional members to be volunteers and come to meetings. And that really helps you understand who your members are at different levels. So you can approach them with different messaging. Because like Dave says, the same message does not resonate with all your members as a group. You need to get down yeah. to we, the individual. We did something similar at AAAE. We had, we basically listed a hierarchy of like the most engaged thing you could be doing. And then we just sort of went down the line all the way to you have an account. And we had, there were at least 10, 10 levels of it. And we basically said, okay, here's all these people in here. What do we need to do to get them to the next level? How do we need to get this group to the next level? And just measured like how everybody went up, up the levels over the space of like, I think we did it six months as a test to start out with. But um, yeah, I mean, once you start looking at that and you know where everybody is and what you need to get them to next, for the most part, um, then you kind of start to get an engagement plan right there on the, on the uh, right there in front of you, which is helpful. Well, the number one, the number one question, this is the key to membership engagement, in my opinion, after have seen it work its charm. Many of us get get information from an association that says, hey, register for our national meeting coming up in October. Well, guess what? Most people think they've already registered, especially if they've come to it before. But many people don't know. So the key to engagement is you send out a, a, a one or two general members, but at some point you start sending a, 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 a mem an email out that says, our records show that you have not. The moment they see the word not, subconsciously they're missing, they get FOMO and they're like, oh my gosh, I thought I'd registered for that or I thought I was in that program or I thought I thought. When you see not, that's why it's important to send different messaging to people that are not involved as opposed to those that are involved. The moment you say not, it's gonna kick in FOMO and they're gonna wanna say, okay, what do I do to get involved? So that's kind of a key to, in my opinion, to getting to individually getting people engaged. I like that. What are you not doing? What are you missing out on? I like that. Right. that really, as long as you don't use it too often, if you use it every single email, like anything, it becomes people like to become immune to it. So you have to be right. thoughtful about when you use any tactic like that. We're already into question and answer time, but before we do, I want to get Tom's three questions. I want to talk about those really quickly. And then we have some questions to start answering. Well, just this is just real basic, Beth. So people take strategic planning and make it way too uh, way too difficult. I like things to be very simple. And if you just take these three questions, if you laid your strategic plan out across the table and simply ask these three questions of yourself, what are we doing that we should be doing differently? So you're doing it and it's a good value, but you need to be doing it differently to add value. What are you doing? What are you not doing that you should be doing? This has caused changes happen and you need to step up to some new benefit. Or what are you doing that you should stop because you need to sunset a program because it's not relevant or it's already or it's finished? So I, we've been asking these three questions of our strategic plan that we had in 2004 every other year, and it has worked like a charm. It helped, you really cover everything you need to change about your plan if you just ask these three questions. 
Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, and I think that the last one is particularly important because there are a lot of associations like, well, we've always done that. We have to keep offering it. We have to keep doing that. So-and-so expects it. Okay, that so-and-so expects it. What about the other 12,000 members? Well, that's you know. why you have metrics because when you mm -hmm. see it doing this, then that means it's time to time to do something different. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for I mean, you've got to make sure you have the metrics. That's always important. So um, I do think that's a great um, segment uh, sentiment to end on. Um, I definitely think there's a lot more for us to unpack at some other point in time um, because I love these discussions. Um, but we are at the end of the session, unfortunately. Uh, really appreciate everyone for joining us today. Um, thank you again so much to Dave and to Tom. Really appreciate your insights and expertise. We hope you enjoyed today's webinar. Before we officially wrap up, I'd like to share a special message from Higher Logic about our annual conference, Superforum. Jeff, over to you. Hey there, I'm Jeff, the Director of Customer Experience at Higher Logic, and uh, I'm excited and I'm, I'm coming to you live from my phone right now. I couldn't even I couldn't even get to my computer, but our annual conference Superforum is back and registration is now open. Uh, so Superforum 2021 is going to happen from October 19th through the 21st. Uh, it's going to be free. It's going to be virtual. We've looked at paring down the schedule, making sure that you can attend uh, all throughout the days and hopefully find some sessions that are really packed full of insights that are going to help you connect with your customers and members more effectively. Uh, and actually, one of the things is that many of the episodes you've listened to on this podcast have actually been from last year's program. We've tried to repurpose that content and try and use it uh, over the last 12 months. So if you want to learn more, uh, register with the link that is in the podcast description. We're going to drop that in there, and uh, we hope to see you there. Hey.